Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul was writing these new Christians. He was writing from prison. He's in prison. He's at the end of his life. Uh, very short time from the time he wrote this letter. Uh, very short time between writing the letter and passing away. We're not sure exactly how long, but some people estimate it a year. Uh, so this is like one of the last things he writes. And shortly after this time, he passes away. So he's at the end of a life. And um, one thing that ticks him off and that he's really writing against is there are people who try to add things to Christianity. There are people, for example, who are going from church to church saying, unless you're circumcised, you cannot go to heaven. And he called them mutilators. And they're adding, adding laws to Christianity. It's called legalism. And, um, and so he was... He was writing about that, warning them about that, and saying, you know, there's really nothing we can add to this whole thing. And um, somehow they're doing this would give them some kind of confidence before God that they're the ones to write. I, 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 know of a, I know of a guy who went and got circumcised not too long ago as a grown man trying to get right with God. Uh, that's just a painful, painful way to do that. Christianity has pain, but that's unnecessary. And um, so he, he says, you know, it's all built on doing things. Uh, he said, no one could have worked harder than me. No one could have gone further than me, higher than me. I, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was, a, I was at the level of being a Hebrew. I was a Pharisee. Pharisees was a was a sect of a religious movement, kind of a revival movement at one time. And he said, he said I, I, I tapped into that. I got into that thing, that level. And he said, not only that, but I had this zeal that, that my passion for being right with God, my doing everything right to be right with God, was that I persecuted the church, thinking that you know, they were an enemy of God and therefore I'll, I'll, I'll kill them. And he did. And so he went to great lengths. He said, uh, you can read this in verses 4, 5, and 6. He said, concerning the law, doing the law, keeping the law, I was blameless. Not one issue of the law left unturned. He said, but what things were gained to me, these things I kind of lost for Christ. Verse 8. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and counted as rubbish, or in King James says, counted as dung, that I may gain Christ. So everything that Paul had been doing, to, if you can imagine all that energy going, in, going to such an extent and coming up empty, coming up at the end of it and looking at it and saying, all this doing, all this doing, 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 didn't gain anything. Didn't produce what I was thinking it was going to produce. And there are people who do that, even with Christianity. They just take it to, to degrees um, that produces nothing. So then what he does here next is, is masterful. It's, a, it's an amazing study. 
He's looking to gain Christ. Is that your goal? It should be. It's, it's a great goal. It's the goal. And so he lists here in verses 9 and 10, even verse 11, he lists without stating it. This, this is his now his new goal. So he listed what was his old goal and that it ended up being rubbish. And so now where, where does he put all that energy? Where does he put all that focus? What is he reaching for? What is he shooting for? And so he itemizes a few things I thought we'd talk about here tonight. This is a, an unusual juncture in our year. This is a period when we're saying goodbye to the old, looking forward to the new. I think it's a perfect time to really look at something like this and for you to ask yourself, what are you shooting for? What are you reaching for? What's the goal? What's it all about? How, how should you focus your life? How should you spend your time, your money, your energy? Uh, that's the kind of stuff I'm searching my heart for these days and looking at. One of the reasons I like to go on this Daniel fast is just to sort that out in prayer and put all my energy into to pressing into what God has for me. But let's look at what Paul writes. Now, now, let's just stop and consider this. This is a man who's done everything. This is a man who's been everywhere. He's traveled. He's traveled more than most people. He single-handedly started some of the greatest churches on earth, just one church after another, going by himself in this pagan, idol-infested land and carving out Christianity in places that had never existed before. And he's not saying several things. He's not saying, my focus now is more churches. My focus, my focus now is more stamps in my passport. My focus now is to accomplish more, get more people. Uh, there's something that happens that the further you go out into this, all, none of that matters anymore. You can look back and say, well, I've been part of starting 10 churches. So what? I mean, that's good in terms of you standing before Jesus on the judgment day. Maybe that's part of your calling. But in the end, it, it doesn't produce what you think it would produce. We admire people, we read biographies, we, we, we read things that people have accomplished, we admire them for the things that they've accomplished. If you're in that, you're in that mode, you'd be surprised how little it means to people. You know, you watch celebrities being interviewed and, and we, we are looking at their greatest moments in history when they did that funny thing on that movie and, and they're looking at it and they're saying, that's just nothing to me, it means nothing to me. And the fans don't want to hear that. They want it to think, well, it means everything to me. Well, it means nothing to me. Because you're in it. In a sense, Paul's doing that here. What he doesn't list is very telling. Because I meet people all the time who it's just more, more, more countries, more places, more trips, more churches, more business, more clients, more customers, more money, more more, more, more. And what he doesn't say is very, very telling. So let's look for a minute and consider what he does say. This is Paul's focus. This is his goal. At the end of a well-lived life, a productive life, here's what he's shooting for. Let's look at it carefully together. Verse 9. I want to be found in him. 
not having my own righteousness, which comes from doing the law, doing things that are right. But I want that righteousness that comes by faith. Faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. There's something powerful about being right with God. And if you've ever gone through a moment, and I have, I have, where I have lost that sense of being right with God, it's awful. It feels like you pray and your prayers just don't go anywhere. It feels like you're under the disapproving gaze of God. It feels like there's nothing you can do that gets his approval. But there's this wonderful thing when, you're, when you do uh, tap into a sense of righteousness where you're right with God, the grass gets greener, the sky gets bluer. It just feels like his face is shining upon you. It just feels like it gives you a fresh boldness, a fresh uh, audacity to be able to believe and trust him for things and ask him for things and expect things from him. There's something about being right with God. And if, and if you've gone through a period where you're not right with God, it's horrible. It's an awful, awful feeling. And some people redouble their efforts by trying to do everything right and believe everything right and have all the right doctrine, but it won't produce what you're thinking it's going to produce. There's something about simply taking what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and believing it, taking it for ourselves. Say, I'm right with God, not because I do everything right. I'm right with God because he's declared me right, righteous through the cross, through what Jesus accomplished. Very, very powerful. If you've ever met someone who is seeking righteousness and can't tap into it, it's maddening. It's a horrible condition I have. Uh, it, it's, it makes me realize what a privilege it is to feel right with God. Next one, let's look at it. He says in verse 10, that I may know him. Now, that sounds so simple. He's not wanting more information. He's, wanting, he's not wanting to know him with, with his head, more definition of God. The word know here is to know by experience. There's something about knowing God that when you go down that road and you experience him, you have to experience more of him. The more you experience, the more you must experience. The more you know him and you, you have an encounter with him, the more you just become so fixated on wanting another encounter. You must see more. You must experience him again. It's incredibly contagious. It's infectious. And here Paul is sitting in a prison at the end of his life saying, I want to know God. I want to know God. I met two young guys that I had helped disciple at one time. They were Christians, came right off the street and got into our lives, got into our church. And they called me one day and they said, would you meet, me, meet us for coffee? And, and so I met at this restaurant and they said, we're done. I said, what do you mean? And they said, we're done with Christianity. We've done everything there is to do. <laughs> These were young guys. We've done everything that there is to do now. So we've decided it's over. There's no point in pursuing this Christianity thing anymore. We're done with it. I was so shocked to hear them, such arrogance, declare that they had... You know, they had already spoken in tongues. They had already uh, seen prayers answered. They had already done a little bit of stuff for God. They said, now we've come to the end of it. We've, we've, we've explored it. We've seen the outer edges of the thing. We're done with it. 
And I leaned into them as just I could feel this anger inside me. And I just said that your problem is you don't know him. And, oh, yeah, we know. No, you don't know him. You could never know him and say what you're saying. There's so much more to know. There's so much more to experience. There's so much more to, to, to taste. God wants us to know him. And it'll take forever. It's like the songs that we're singing tonight. Even with all of forever, you'll never get to the, get to the end of knowing God. And it begins now and carries over into forever. Your life pursuit, now that you are, now that you're a, a, a life-giving being, your whole life will be absolutely focused on knowing God. And, and Paul's saying, there's more to know. <laughs> I've known him enough to know that I need to know him. There's more. Isn't that exciting that there's more to this whole thing? More than you can ever imagine. More, more experiences for you to have. 2020 should be a time, I, I, I wish this for us as a people, that we'd know God. We'd know him. We'd know him in ways we've never known him. I think what holds us back is we think we know. We think we've had experiences. And we have. We have had experiences. What he does here that's so masterful, he sets aside all the things that, He's accumulated an experience, and he says, he said, I, I don't want that to hold me back. It's possible to do so much business that you think you know business, and so therefore you don't look for anything new in business. You, you've mastered it. You've gotten on top of it. And actually, next thing you know, you stop growing and you stop developing. It's the same kind of thing. He says, I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. When Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, that life, that life is something that we've tapped into in a very limited way. Even though it brought us back to life and brought us from death, and, and, and it was powerful, and it was profound, and there's a transformation. Uh, Alan's not here, I can't see him, but his family came to church this morning and they said, we've seen a transformation in Alan. His sisters, two sisters here, and they said, and his brother-in-law said, he's changed. <laughs> and they're, they're thanking us. We didn't have anything to do with it. It was the power, the resurrection of Jesus that has changed Alan into this bright-faced, open, uh, loving, gracious young man. That was a powerful thing. They, what they saw, what they're, what they're testifying to, we got to see that happen. We didn't do it. It was the power of the resurrection. So is that it for Alan? Is that the end of his, his growth? No. And, he, and it's true for me. There's more. That's the most amazing thing. Paul said, I've tasted enough of this resurrection life. I have to have more. I have to have more. There's more transformation. There's more life for me. Resurrection life. And he slips into something that's so profound. You could just so easily read over this. He said, that I may know him. Verse, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I think one of the things that hurts us more than you can possibly imagine is a thing called comfortable Christianity where we carve out some kind of a kind of Christianity that's safe that's antiseptic, that's, that's uh, contained. We don't witness anymore. We don't run the risk of, of, of being bold and witnessing for Jesus. We just want to play it safe. 
Christianity and suffering go together. And we don't want to know that. We don't want, we don't want to hear that. But there is something about tasting his sufferings. And I'm not saying you have to self-inflict yourself with anything. But what if we got a different attitude toward it and said, okay, now that hurts. <laughs> How can I know Jesus more in this? How can I experience? Ultimately, it's death. Ultimately, it's, it's physical persecution. Ultimately, and he's saying, I'm willing to go right up to that line. In fact, he did. He did on several occasions. We don't want to go anywhere. We don't want to, we don't want to do anything that, where there might be a risk of being hurt or inconvenienced. He had a different outlook. He said, you know something? Uh, let me see if I can put it in what I think Paul's saying. He said, you know something? I, I, I've had some tough times. I've been beat up, I've been stoned, people throw, threw rocks at me and uh, uh, chased out of town, all kinds of things happening. He said, every time I experienced that, Jesus came. And the fellowship that passed between his soul and my soul was so delicious. Jesus coming and saying, without words, saying, I know what it's like. I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going through. It happened to me. And there's such a sweet fellowship, a communion, a communion that's beyond words. You see it in this life a little bit. Cancer survivors, for example, they'll meet each other and they're cancer survivors. And there's not much to say. They say, oh, you too? That happened to you? Oh, oh. And there's really not a lot more to say. It's just that you know. You know, you know what it is to have that prognosis or diagnosis and, and, and that treatment, you know. And there's lots of things where you go through something. Even if you meet someone, you've walked the Appalachian Trail, then you meet someone who's also walked the Appalachian Trail, and you find out there's not a lot to say. You say, you too, you did that? Wow. And, and it's beyond words. And there's this fellowship that you enter into with people who've gone through something that you've gone through. There's not a lot to say. And when Jesus steps into us, and you say, say you, you run into a really difficult time, really difficult person or a demon, and Jesus comes to you. He's done this to me. And he comes and he doesn't say a whole lot. He just lets you know that he knows. You, and you find yourself saying, as long as you know, I'm okay. As long as you know what I know, and it's called fellowship. It's a fellowship. It's like this elite club that you've just entered into. And the only way to get into this club is through pain, through suffering, through, heart, through some kind of rejection, being spit on, some kind of hardship. And we can stay in the shallow end of the pool and avoid the places where that may happen, but I wouldn't respect myself. See, I, I don't want to read about Christianity and, the, and marvel at, at the guys who go out and do this stuff. I, I want to get in on that. Or I can play it safe. See, all we have to really, the big threats that we have that we deal with here in Yates County, black ice and mosquitoes. <laughs> it's possible to live a safe, sanitized, comfortable, contained Christianity where there's no pain and then the first time someone does something that offends us we completely fall apart we leave church over that and 
So I, I, I met someone who was completely falling apart, and I said, what happened? You know, thinking that somehow, somehow somebody did something. And they said, somebody rejected me on Facebook. They wouldn't accept my friendship. Gonna, well, that's, a, that's a level of endurance. That's a level of pain. Facebook rejection is it. It's a different kind of Christianity than anything. We, no wonder the Bible is boring for them because they can't possibly relate to what he's talking about. This is a guy. This is a guy that they opened his back with a cat of nine tails with 40, well, 39 lashes on five different occasions. They beat his feet with rods until he couldn't walk. Every ship, it seemed like for a while there, almost every ship he got on sank. Amazing, amazing endurance. And he says, you know, it's, I'm not into pain. I'm not looking to suffer. But the fact is, every time I did, Jesus came. Jesus came and, and stood with me. And there's this heart fellowship back and forth where he just communicates, I know, I, I know, I know what you're, I know what you're going through. I got beat up one time when I was a young Christian. I led this lad to the Lord, and, I, and it was some, something that happened to me. Uh, he was insistent on, on my telling him what the transformation was that he could see and his family could see. And, and I didn't feel comfortable leading this young lad, uh, telling him about Jesus without his parents' permission and all of that. But he just kept insisting. He says, how do I get what you, what you had? And I couldn't deny uh, what, ha what what had happened to me. And I said, well, I asked Jesus into my heart. He just dropped to his knees. He said, I want to do the same thing. So he asked Jesus into his heart. We're at a party. And I left the party because it was just more smoke and booze and dirty jokes and dancing. And I left that party. See, I danced, but I changed uh, venues. And uh, I knew I was in trouble in the moment he dropped to his knees. But what could I do? He wanted to receive Jesus. He was killed in a car accident some time later, and I was so glad he experienced Jesus, hit by a car. But when his, I felt the righteous thing to do is for him to get up and tell his parents what happened to him. I didn't want to, be, I didn't want to do something in, the, in, a, in a corner. But I didn't mean for him to go into the party and tell them at the party, Penn just caused me to become a Christian. Or whatever. <laughs> But that's what he did. Well, the dad, who's about six, seven, was so livid. And they just were so offended at me anyway, the kind of Christian that I was. I remember coming to a door at a, at a basement, a uh, door into an apartment building. And as I stood at that door, I felt Jesus saying, there's evil behind this door. And I knew it. I knew it. But what could I do? He had to open the door. So when I opened the door, there's the guy filling the door. And he lunged at me and he started swiping and pounding me and pounding me with his big hands. He was a house painter, real tall house. Didn't even need a ladder, house painter. And uh, he just went crazy on me. It was embarrassing. It was confusing. Uh, I wrecked the party. Heather's family was all upset. This was one of their family party. So I was in the doghouse for a long time after that. But I'll never forget this. I don't remember any pain. 
I don't remember anything other than the, the shame. But I do remember Jesus came to my apartment and Jesus sat down with me. And though I never saw him with my physical eyes, there's no question that he was there. He didn't say a lot, but I knew that he knew. I knew that he cared. I knew that he was proud of me. I knew that I was right with him and, and everything was right because he was there. And it didn't matter what anyone else said or thought. All that really mattered was that Jesus knew. And Jesus was the only person who knew what happened. And I just have to rest in that. But I, I never forget this, that he came. And then, uh, then the, I got a call from the youth pastor. I was a married man at this time, but I was going to the youth group because I was so hungry for God. I would just go to every meeting to try to get fed. And, and uh, the youth pastor called me. He'd never done that before. He said, can I come over? I said, yeah. So he'd come over just to sit with me. And he had no idea what happened. He didn't know what had just happened. But I'm thinking, God, you're so good. You sent this man. Just when I needed to talk to someone, just when I needed Jesus with skin on. And this guy came in just to be with me and just to, just to check on me. The, the timing was perfect. But I never forgot that because I realized that God knows. And there's fellowship that you can't experience without suffering. And that, that way you never have to be afraid of the suffering. You can embrace it with all your heart because it's, it's a way to know Jesus. So Paul said, I've tasted enough suffering. This is so profound. He said, I've tasted enough suffering that I want more if that's what it would take to know him more. If that's what it would take to taste more, that sweet, sweet fellowship, that heart communion with Jesus, if that's what it takes, bring it on. I'm willing to suffer, even to the point of dying, that I may know him. Isn't this an amazing goal? I mean, this is for a guy who's been everywhere and done everything and experienced everything and, and has the, the highest of the high kinds of experience. He's saying, this is where it's at. This is worth reaching for. This is worth experiencing. Verse 11, if, I by, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now watch this. This guy's so, hum, so humble. Listen to this. He says, not that I've already attained, haven't arrived. Isn't it amazing that Paul at the end of his life didn't feel like he arrived? You don't either. There isn't anyone here probably that feels like you're at the zenith of your Christianity and there's, there's really no more. He said, I just, there's so much more I haven't, I haven't attained and I'm not already perfected. Is there some kind of relief in that for you, for me? But I press on. There's something more to reach for. I, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. There's a purpose. Jesus didn't save you to sit in a pew. Jesus didn't save you to read your Bible and pray. Those things are helpful, but that's not why he saved you. He wants to accomplish something through you, in you, and to you, and through you. There's something, a reason that Jesus has reached out to you, and he says, I, I want that. 
Verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. I think it's the King James Version. It says, but this one thing I do. That's what we're singing tonight. It's that one thing. That one thing. Everything else kind of fades away. He said, I haven't apprehended or arrived. But one thing I do. You should be leaning into this right now. Paul's about to tell us the one thing that he does. It's what you need to do. It's what I need to do. It's what I need to do again and again and again. But I'm at this juncture where I'm at the beginning of a new year. It's like a, a field of fresh fallen snow. There's no tracks. There's no marks. And I look back at 2019. It was an uproarious year just filled with all kinds of stuff. Good and bad. But I'm at this juncture. And he says, this one thing I do Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This one thing I do, forgetting. You have permission from God tonight to let go. Let go of what's happened. Let go of your accomplishments. Let go of past successes and attainments and past difficulties, past pain. You have permission from God to let go, to let it go, just to let it go. I don't think we can really fully press forward without letting go. Forgetting. Intentionally forgetting. Now, it's a realistic forgetting. It's not that you will never remember those things anymore. It's just that they're not your focus. You've shifted your eyes. Now, watch what he's doing. He's doing it. He's deciding. It's not God grabbing him by the scruff of the neck and saying, you will do this. You have permission to decide. You have, to, you have permission tonight to decide the direction of your life. You can keep your eyes focused on you, on your past, on things that marked you, things that you identify with. You have permission. Now, he doesn't throw out all the stuff. Look at verse 16. He said, nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. There's things that we have attained. There's, there's experiences we have in God that we don't, let go of it's not it's not that they're bad but there's some things there's some things that hold us back you know in the roman culture when an athlete won a race they would give him a laurel a laurel were laurel leaves from a particular tree and and these leaves were you've seen pictures of them where they have the laurel leaves on their sides of their heads well, they'd make a crown out of laurel leaves and that they would present it to them. And, and a person may have two or three of these crowns on their head to show that they're the victor. They're the, they're the ones who accomplish the highest that there is. So we've come up with a saying that says, don't rest on your laurels. 
What that means is you've attained certain things, but if you stay there, if you think that's it, you won't press into anything more. If you think you've hit the level that there is, why would you try harder? Why would you go further? Why would you do anything else? So your success actually is the thing that undermines your future. There's times you just have to say, okay, I, I, I have attained some things, but I don't want that to hold me back. I let that go. I let go of it. Successes, levels of accomplishment, stamps in my passport, experiences, both good and bad. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, it's almost like you make a declaration and saying, okay, the past is the past. I want to go forward. So I'm focusing on coming into things I've never come into before. You can do that. You can decide that. You can choose. You can declare that. You can resolve. You can make a resolution. You can actually make a resolution that says, this is the line. I'm not bringing that, I'm not bringing that baggage into my new year. You can make that decision. Did you know that? Paul is... Why can't you? I'm not being identified by what's happened to me in the past. I declare it over. I declare it done. I press toward the goal. What is your goal? What is it you're reaching for? Uh, every time at New Year's, we come up with New Year's resolutions. Uh, don't be embarrassed by reading your last year's resolutions. You might be disappointed. I, I, think, I think there are disappointments. I think there's things that we said we we're going to do and we didn't do it. And it almost makes us hesitant to say, well, I don't know if I want to make a resolution because I didn't accomplish. It didn't turn out the way I thought it would. I'm not in the, same, I'm not in the place I thought I'd be this time. This time. The way I looked at it from last year. But I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to do this. I think it's healthy to consider what is the goal? What is it that you're reaching toward? What is it you're striving? What will you put your time, your energy, your focus? I think one way to sort this out would be to fast. Fasting, the things that you're entitled to, you're entitled to eat, you're entitled to... You, there's nothing wrong. You can, you can relax in front of a television. You can go on social media. It's not sin. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's like anything. If it's done a measure, done reasonably, there's nothing wrong with any of that. You can see a movie. You can watch a movie. You can play games. There's nothing wrong with that. You can make it out to be wrong, of course. But what if we said, you know, I could do those things anytime. I want to focus I want to. I, I want to. I want to pull myself up and say, "Okay, we're going to focus on what needs to happen here." I want to get someplace. I want to do something. I want. I want my life to count. I think you can choose. I think you can do that. I think fasting is the fastest way to do that. That says no more to this, even things you're entitled to, like food, even pleasant food, and saying no more, no more for a period of time, no more. Because I want this. And you focus. That's a powerful thing. Did you know that you could let go of the past?
There's some things that, that in my past I'm ashamed of. There's some things I regret. It's funny how they'll waffle into my mind. I'll just be doing some mundane thing and all of a sudden it'll waffle across my vision. And it's happened to me enough recently that I thought, what's this all about? And I, it, I started praying about it and I felt like God was speaking to me. Uh, give me some things for me concerning this. But it happens to me, so I'm sure it happens to you. I'm pretty average. I'm sure it happens to you as well. Things that happened to you, things you did that you wish you had never done. I'm not even talking about sins. Just stuff that happens, stuff, things you've spent your money on, things you've spent time on, things that you invested in that didn't pan out. It's not even a forgivable thing. It's not something you can go to God and say, please forgive me. I think there is something, though, for you to say, I'm not going to entertain that anymore. Uh, I'm not going to let that define me. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace it rather than be ashamed of it. I'm just going to, I'm going to let it have a different effect on my life. I'm not going to bury it anymore. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to stuff it down. But I'm not going to let it create pain either. And there must be somehow a way to bring it into the light, Jesus, and sit down and sit down with that on the table in front of you and talk to him about it and say, nah, is this useful? Is this something that would be useful in my life? If not, I'm going to throw it over the side of the ship. I'm going to throw it overboard. I'm not going to bury it. I'm not going to bury it. I'm, I, I'm not going to carry it. I'm going to bury it. I think you can decide those kinds of things. Somebody has to decide them. Who else can do it but you? We need goals. We need focus. What if we, what if we together decide that it would take the month of January just to sort it out in prayer? Rather than staying on the same old hamster wheel going around and around and around, and we get to the end of next year, 2020, we look back and say, what was that about? I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. I, didn't, I, just, I just went around and around and around. Somebody has to call it quits. Somebody has to say no more of this. Paul was doing this. This one thing I do, it's almost like he's recommending it to these young Christians Can I recommend it to you? Why don't you draw a line of the things that weigh you down, the things that distract you, the things that are useless. Draw a line and say, no more. No more. Amen? Grant, why don't you come up? It's early. I mean, you're free to go, but what if we just knelt down somewhere, laid across a pew, found some piece of carpet and laid out before the Lord and began that process tonight while there's grace here, while the Spirit is speaking. Everything I'm saying, Nelson already brought perfectly, though we didn't talk beforehand. Grant already chose songs that says the same kind of thing, but we never collaborated. Uh, although I did suggest one song. I think God's speaking. Don't you? 
Let's spend some time before the Lord. Let's go deep and see what happens. Let's see where he takes us tonight, okay?